All right, Revelation chapter 12 is where we're going to be today. Now, odds are, at some point in your life, you've come across this photo uh, right here. You've probably seen this. This is the most, uh, this, the most reproduced photo in history, this one right here. Now, just a little context, in February 19, 1945, in the middle of, the, of World War II, uh, we, uh, the U.S. invaded uh, what was called Iwo Jima. Uh, it was just the most strategic uh, position for eventually conquering Japan in, in the war. Now, obviously, we're not a God and country church. We're a gospel church first, okay? And uh, no matter where you sit on that, uh, you know, like the, I know there's horrors of war and all that kind of stuff, but there is in every, in every war, right? Um, the point of this that I want to show you is that as the, uh, as the U.S. forces moved into Iwo Jima, um, there were, I mean, it, there was a, uh, a flurry of battle going on. There were bullets flying. You had uh, casualties mounting. You had bombs dropping, and, the, and on there's a mountain on this island called Mount Suribachi. And on this mountain, uh, these group of Marines went in the dark hour of, of war when all this is kind of chaos is erupting. They went and scaled this mountain, and a photographer saw them going up the mountain and went with them to see what was happening. They were carrying Old Glory, the American flag, with them, and they stuck it on the top of this mountain. And in the middle of this thing, it became this iconic image uh, of, of just like that just stirred hope in the American people in the midst of a dark time, right? And, and I tell you that story because it, it was said that this, this single picture uh, was actually one of the largest reasons why America was able to win that war, right? It stirred the hearts of God's people so much as they looked to this image. People invested in, the, uh, in bonds that actually fueled financially uh, America through that time. People, the, the morale of the troops rallied when they looked to this photo. And so I say that to you because this it became a beautiful picture of what it meant to conquer. Right? And in the same way, Revelation 12 gives us this beautiful picture for God's people of what it means to conquer. And in fact, that we have conquered. And so last week we looked at the beginning of, of Revelation chapter 12 and we saw the first six verses there. And what John did was he pulled back the, the, the kind of the, the veil of distraction from so many of our eyes to see that, man, there is this larger thing going on in the background of your life. Right, this larger thing that so many of us are asleep to the reality of, that there is this war. In the same way, there are spiritual bullets flying by your head. There are casualties mounting. And, and what John wants to do right here is to help us see this picture that sustains us in the middle of dark times. Right, That man, gives us this, this momentum we can leave here with trusting that man, we have conquered by the blood. We just sung that, man. What a beautiful time of worship that was for us to declare God's people that doesn't matter what you're walking through. If you're a saint, if you've placed faith in Jesus Christ, you are not the sum of your mistakes any longer. You are not your dark moment. You are not your hardship. That's not what defines you. The loudest voice in your life is the one of the Lord that says that you are more than conquerors today. And so what I want to look at in this passage is just three ways, right, three ways as we look at the rest of chapter 12. And there's so much, let me just say, there's so much that we could do in this, in this chapter. But I really want to hone in on verse 11 after we read the text because I believe it shows us this, this great uh, 
uh, it gives us this great battle cry for God's people to know how, in, in fact, we have conquered. Okay? So let me, let me read this to you. Uh, chapter 12, 7 through 11 says this. Now war arose in heaven. So remember, last week pulls the, pulls the uh, curtain back. We see this spiritual battle happening. Now it says, now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser, I want you to underline that. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they have loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman. Remember, the woman is the church. Okay, the dragon is Satan. We see that. It's already been defined, verse 9. The woman is the church and the child is Christ. It says he had been thrown down to the earth. He pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child, Jesus Christ. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness. You see the provision and the protection of God here over the church in the midst of this, this persecution from Satan to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. Again, we've already established times, time, and half a time is this language 1260 days, 42 months, three and a half years. We see this language throughout the Old Testament describing everywhere we find it of a time of trial and hardship for God's people. So right here we see God nourishes the church in the middle of the, of the church age as we yearn for glory, as we try to live lives faithfully and we are attacked, we are accused, and we are deceived. It says that there is a nourishment for the church. And it goes on and it says, the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. A whole lot that we could do there, you see. It's a mouthful. And if you missed last week, you can go online and kind of catch some of that context. I tried to breathe back into that passage as we read it. Uh, you, there's, a, there's a sermon on our, on our app. You can download the app. You can go online. There's a sermon called Cosmic Conflict. You can go back on there and watch that, kind of get caught up. But a couple things I want to kind of jar your memory around again. First, the woman is the church. The dragon is the enemy. And third thing is the child is Christ our Lord. That's who these players are. That's who these characters are in this scene that's been set. This morning as we dive into this passage again, I want to look at verse 11 today, though. Because I believe that verse 11 gives three ways that the church has conquered through Christ. Three ways. Okay, first thing I want you to see is this. Christians, the church, has conquered by the blood of the Lamb. By the blood of the Lamb, we have conquered. 
Now, there's a lot here, so let me just kind of explain a little bit of the crazy that we just read. John says that war breaks out in heaven, right? This war breaks out in heaven, and the devil was thrown down. Now, that's not saying that he was literally booted. I don't think this is talking about uh, you know, what Isaiah depicts. I don't think this is talking about the time before uh, creation where, uh, you know, or not before creation, but when there was this rebellion in heaven, when God cast a third of the angels out along with Satan. I don't think that's what this is talking about contextually, and I'll tell you why in a minute. But what this is saying is that Satan was thrown down, speaking of his removal of power to deceive and accuse God's people before the Lord any longer. There was a moment when Christ was crucified, when he was resurrected. And again, it wasn't just in his crucifixion, it wasn't just in his crucifixion to death that, that conquered anything, but it was in his glorious resurrection and his eventual ascension to the right hand of the Father that Satan was defamed. In that moment, his ability, his power over God's people was stripped in that moment. And so he was thrown down. The word Satan, here he's given two names, okay? He's, he's called Satan and the devil, this enemy, okay? Now, Satan, the word Satan used multiple, multiple times throughout the Bible means the, an adversary or one who opposes God's people, an enemy, right? You have an enemy. I need you to make sure you hear that. It may feel like everything's great in your life, and it may feel like no one's opposing you. And if that's true, I want to kind of wake you up to some things and, and really speak a word of caution over your life. If you're not yet trying to live lives that honor Jesus Christ, then you are probably not experiencing any opposition because you're going with the flow, right? The flow of our world and the enemy. But there is an enemy to God's people, the church, the woman in, in this text. There is an enemy, an adversary. One who wants to see you destroyed. The, the word devil used, again, throughout the Old Testament uh, and the New, it means slanderer, okay, or accuser. So just by very nature of who he is, he lives to accuse you. He lives to deceive you. He lives to take you out of the game by believing his lies, and, and, and so my heart today, listen, my heart today, and what I've been so fired up about this text about is because I just believe that so many people are crippled in the church today because they listen to the voice of the enemy more than they hear the voice of the Lord in their lives. And so I want to lift that burden from you if you are a child of God today. I want to open your eyes and open your ears to see what God has said of you. Do you have an enemy who wants to accuse you? And this is the idea of really the rest of this text, but 15 and 16, verse 15 and 16, it goes on to say that Satan pours water. This enemy pours water out of his mouth like a flood trying to devour and sweep away the church, this woman. But then it says that the earth opens up and, and, and really just swallows up this water, comes to the aid of the woman. Now, throughout the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, a torrential flood, right, or a powerful wave, a, a, a torrent of water is symbolic to describe two things, right? One, the judgment of God against his enemies. You see this in, the, in, in, in Exodus, right? You see this in Noah. You, you see the water is a, an instrument from God to brought, be brought upon God, you know, the, those who rebel against his lordship. Right? It is, it is a, a symbol of judgment. It's also a symbol of persecution of God's people from enemies. You see this, if you just go and read the Psalms, read the Psalms, read David's prayers, 
he, he talks about this idea of waters that assail him, waters that sweep him away, waters that take his, 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 his body to shield. You see this, like, this imagery of water, this wave, this torrent uh, coming against God, this flood coming against God's people as a means of, of persecution as well for God's people. So the fact that this water here pours from his mouth is symbolic of where this attack is coming from, where this persecution against God's people is coming from. It's coming from his mouth. It's coming from deceptive speech. It's coming from lies. It's coming from slander. It's coming from accusation against God's people. And we've seen this throughout church history, right? The devil has always spoke lies uh, against the church. He's tried to attack the church through false teaching, through deception. We see this in the, the rise of Gnosticism in early church history, in Arianism and Pelagianism, which is the idea that there is no inherited sin, that you are basically morally capable people to, to do good, and, and it strips the gospel of its power, its heresy, the, the lies of the, and I want to make sure I, I classify this because I know there are strains of Catholicism today that may not teach all of this, but traditional Roman Catholicism that says that you work your way into heaven by keeping these certain things. Listen, de the devil has used lies throughout church history against the church to have people come under this idea of, uh, of that is deceiving it doesn't lead to, to, to righteousness. It doesn't lead to heaven. It doesn't lead to a place of joy. It leads to death and separation from God forever. We see this again even more today. This prosperity gospel that's preached from so many pulpits that says, if you give enough, God owes you. Or if you have enough faith that God will heal you. This, we see it even more in this, this social gospel that is like, uh, that, that God's word needs revision, that love is love. And, 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 and God, surely God is not a God who would actually, that is exclusive, right? That would actually send people to hell because of their preference. And we just see these lies just dripping into the church and speaking into the ears of God's people. And Satan is behind them all. We got to know that. But this morning, I want you to see that his attack, the attack of the enemy, is not just uh, geared on confusing you. Okay, I, I actually believe that one of his greater thrusts, one of his greater uh, tools against the church, persecutions against the church, is to confuse, is not to confuse you, but to accuse you. Is to accuse you. To accuse you, to get you to believe something that is not true about yourself and about God. Okay, about yourself and about God. Satan, we see this in the Old Testament. If you remember the book of Job, Satan goes before God. He accuses Job. He brings accusations against Job, and he continually does that against the, the saints in the Old Testament. We see it in Zechariah chapter 3, Satan standing to accuse Joshua. Before Jesus' atonement, Satan could do that. Before Jesus was, was crucified and resurrected, guaranteeing that his sacrifice was sufficient to pay the full penalty of sin that stood against you, right? He could go before God. He could lay out a case before God, and there was, there was legal force to it. He was a prosecutor in some ways, a prosecuting attorney bringing before God the sins of David and his adultery and murder, the sins of Moses and Noah and Samson and every other Old Testament saint. Before Jesus, without Jesus, 
Satan could go before the Father and he could lay out Matt's sin just on a uh, just on, on a a reel on a scroll and say, "Here it is," you know, and 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 he would be just in doing so. But let me tell you something. What Scripture tells us is that because of Christ, because he laid down his life to pay the penalty that stood against the saints, and he walked out of the grave in victory, the devil's accusations are baseless now and thrown down. Romans 8.1 says that there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You need to hear that. Because today what happens is when Satan goes before God and he, he whispers a word of accusation before the Father, Jesus says, you shut your mouth. I paid for him. I have the receipts in my scar. You see this? And so it's no longer Matt standing naked before God. I'm standing before God clothed in Christ's righteousness. This is the idea of imputation, right? Not that you bring anything to it, right? But that Jesus on the cross gives you his righteousness. You have become the righteousness of Christ by faith. Right? You don't have to earn that. that that's, what the, that's the error of the traditional Roman Catholicism that says you have to keep these things in order to be right with God. That is not the gospel. The gospel is that you could do nothing. You brought nothing. You were dead. You were dead. But Jesus, the blood, the blood makes you right. The blood gives you value. The blood gives you worth. You see, his accusation lost all power because the full price was paid. The full price. But listen to me. That doesn't mean the devil stops accusing. That doesn't mean he stops throwing accusations around. This is, listen, this is who he is. Remember, he is the accuser. He is the deceiver. It is who he is. So today, Satan still lives to accuse. And he does so in a couple ways I want to speak to for just a moment this morning because I believe that maybe some of you in the room today have bought into this. And let me, let me just say this too. I buy into this at times. I've got to be reminded. This is what's so important about reading your Bible. Because I'm going to tell you, that voice of the enemy will never stop. But what's the louder voice in your life? What is the louder voice in your life? So Satan can no longer accuse you to God. Right? Jesus stands there and says, no, 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 you shut your mouth. He's mine. She's mine. I paid for her. I knew her. I called her. I redeemed her. I justified her. And I, I will glorify her. Right? He says all of these things about you now. Right? So he, doesn't accuse, he can't accuse you before God anymore, but you know what he can do? He can accuse God to you, and he can accuse you to you. Okay, let me talk about those two things. He accuses God to you. This is what Satan wants to do, right? He wants you to start doubting God so you'll stop having devotion to God. He, he, you remember, you've heard these lies. If you're a saint, you, you've heard these lies. He said, God is holding out on you. He doesn't want you to be happy. If you, if you, you, know, if you commit to God, he's going to take your weekends. If you, if, you, if you give to God, you can't buy that thing that you want. You can't put that pool in your backyard. You can't, if you're faithful to God, it's going to cost too much. You, you hear these things. He's trying to ruin your fun. He doesn't want the best for you. You, you can't trust him anymore. What kind of a God would, would take that family member? What kind of a God would cause infertility in your life? What kind of a God would... You've heard the lies. He lives to accuse God to you. God to you so that you will stop beholding him. Stop and, and just start blaming him for every hardship and every issue in your life. You hear these accusations against God. God says, do sex my way. But if you do, you'll lose the guy. 
God says, don't marry a non-believer, but she's cute and you're too invested, right? God says, you know, don't neglect the gathering, but aren't you in charge of your calendar? You hear these whispers of Satan all the time. And what I want to do is help you put a label on them. I want to help you put a That is an accusation from hell. That is not my God. That is not who he is. So he lives to accuse God to you. But one of the most devastating accusations, I believe, God's people hear is his accusations of you to you. He labels you to you. Satan is present against the woman, the church, throughout this church age. And by the way, it's Mother's Day, even for our birds today, apparently. Right? I, I need to confess, I was praying that God would strike them while, I was in, <laughs> while we were in worship. Yeah, anyway, <laughs> anyway, so uh, he lives to accuse you to you, right? Satan's, Satan wants to destroy you, your happiness, your joy, your effectiveness, your participation in the work of the enemy, uh, in the work of the gospel, sorry. He wants to take you out of the game, and he knows he cannot destroy your salvation, okay? So what does he try to do? He accuses you to you. Here's the thing, he can't change what is true. So if he can get you to believe a lie and just take yourself out of the game, then he's already won. Right? Not in an ultimate sense, but if he can get you to, because here's the thing, listen, if Christ has saved you, you are saved indeed. Right? And you will always be indeed saved. Right? But here's the thing, if he can get you not to tell anybody about it, if he can get you not to be obedient, if he can get you not to be faithful, then he stunts the work of the gospel in your life and in your home. You hear these accusations. And again, if you're in Christ, this is not, listen, I don't know if you hear these accusations if you don't know Jesus. I think he's just saying, man, you keep doing your thing. But if you, man, if you know Christ, if you've turned to him in faith at some point in your life and you've looked to him as Lord, as your right standing before the Father, you've heard this voice of the enemy. You hear its voice now. Right? You listen, let me ask you this. Have you heard this voice? If they only knew your past. You're addicted. You're addicted to drugs. You're addicted to pornography. You're addicted to some substance. You're damaged beyond repair. Your marriage has no hope. God wouldn't forgive that. Let me tell you, I've heard that. You have no future. You can't be used by God. You're no good. You remember, you, you've heard this voice from God. You don't know enough. You're not qualified enough. It's too hard. Let someone else do it. You don't, and, and, and you hear these lies, and we believe these lies. Right? Some of you today is like, I can't lead anything because I don't know enough. I can't lead my family in any kind of family worship because I don't know enough. Or I've not done it for a long period of my life. And so if I was to step into that, it would be awkward. That is a lie from hell. You need to hear that, right? You, man, you can't read. Don't, you can't read. Don't read your Bible. You can't read. You can't understand. It's too hard. It's too complex. That is a lie. You read everything, right? You never stop reading. You can read. You can lead. You can become something for the Lord. Not because of you, right, but because of who he is and what he's done in you. This is why, listen, my heart is to get the church to engage in reading their Bibles. Okay, if, if I have a, like a thrust in my soul that I yearn for, is to see God's people come alive to spending time in the Word of God, to, to understand what we have. 
and to spend time steeping there, right? This is, this is why we have got to love our Bibles more than we do the voice of anything else speaking into our life because there's always something speaking, but God's word has got to be the loudest voice that is speaking into our lives because here's the truth. Here's what your Bible will tell you, right? Your Bible will tell you you are no good. <laughs> your Bible will tell you you are broken. Your Bible will tell you every one of you have a past, but for every, every accusation, there's a bloody cross. There is a bloody cross that says that God's anger, God's wrath has been turned to delight. He is the blood. <laughs> that blood is still the blood. And, and it, it, it does something for the saints today. If we believe that, man. We come alive to seeing that we have conquered by the blood of the Lamb. Our past, it's there. It's real. It's dark. It's nasty. But Christ is beautiful, and he has given me his righteousness. And he has forgiven you. Listen to me. I want you to hear this. If you know Jesus, you are forever freely and fully forgiven. That is who you are. <laughs> Stop believing the lie. You have conquered by the blood of the Lamb. Martin Luther the famous reformer of 1500s, he, he, he said something that um, it, it, it became really famous. It's probably his most famous writing, most famous kind of uh, doctrinal idea. This uh, Latin phrase, simul justus epicator, okay? Now, I'm not a Latin professor, but that's how you pronounce it because I heard it before I got in here, okay? And here's what it means. Simul, simultaneously. Right? You are simultaneously. Justus, which is Latin for justified, and picator is this word that means sinner. So you are simultaneously a sinner while you are justified in Christ. So here's what this means. You are more wicked than you've ever imagined. You have a, a capacity to sin and, and break the heart of God. But because of Jesus' perfection and righteousness imputed to you, you are more loved than you've ever dreamed. <laughs> right? So for every accusation you've believed, you say back to the devil, no, I am loved. No, no, no I, am, I am chosen. No, I am redeemed. I am adopted. We've got to be a church who knows God's word. That's why I told you, we will be eaten alive if you don't. Right? Because he, he is good and he is deceiving. So you're passed, again, fully, freely, and forever forgiven. There are no accusations that can condemn because you've overcome by the blood of the Lamb. Amen. All right, secondly, I want to show you this. That Christians conquer by the power of their testimony. We conquer by the power of our testimony. Your testimony is your story. Right? It's your story. And here's what's beautiful, though. The most important thing about your story isn't you. <laughs> Right? You have a story. All of us. Our, our testimony means it is our personal story. But what is powerful about your story isn't you. It's the story of what Christ has accomplished in you, for you, and, and what he is doing through you. Right? That, that, is the most, that is the loudest thing that our testimonies ought to say. Jesus is the hero. Right? He is the hero. The, the, listen, the conquering power of testimony is not found in what you did or what you prayed or where you walked or where you were. It, I don't care. Okay, listen, the, your testimony, what's powerful about it is when you say, listen, this is who I was, but this is who Christ is. Right? This is what I did, but this is what Christ said. 
this is what Christ is doing in me. If your testimony, when you share it, says everything about you and nothing about Christ, it is, it is exactly what, what Satan wants you to, what, what he wants you to speak. And there's no power in that. What's powerful is when our testimony is laced with the gospel of Christ. All right, when it's all about Jesus. It's your story you tell about you, right? That, you know, this is what Satan wants you, that it tell, it's about you. It terminates on you. It celebrates you. It glorifies you, right? When, when you fail, right? Uh, when you fail, when you fall, you fail. You, and, and, and listen, what, what, what's true about us is that when we speak, that, when that's what our testimonies are, man. It's just all about us. It terminates on us. When I fall down, I stop telling people, right? When, when, I'm, when I'm weak, my mouth shuts, but here's, what, here's, here's what's powerful about the testimony of the redeemed. When we, even when we fall, what's beautiful about the testimony of the saints is that even when we are not pretty, it still is. <laughs> it is still good. When we fall, we proclaim that Jesus picks us up. When we are weak, we proclaim that Jesus is strong. When we lack faith, we proclaim that Jesus is faithful. When everything around us is dark and broken, we proclaim that Jesus is light. Right, listen, there is power in the things that you proclaim. What are you proclaiming about yourself, Christian? Who's doing the work? Who's moving in your life? Who gives you strength? What are you clinging to? You see, that is what the world needs, and that's the missional component of this today. Right, that you, listen, we've got to be a people who take that testimony to the world. And say, listen, I am nothing, but he is everything. He is everything. He's my only hope of right standing. So the Christians that will conquer are the ones who, whose strength is in the power of the testimony of Jesus Christ. So the world is looking for self-help. The world is looking for some political savior. The world is looking for some social reform as the way forward. But we preach Christ crucified. Isn't that what he said? It, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians. He says, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. He's talking about non-believers, okay? Listen, Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom, but we, God's people, uh, preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews, Greeks, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Listen, we preach Christ crucified. Preach that over yourself. Preach that. Finally, I'm going to wrap up with this. The band's going to go ahead and move into place to begin to lead us. Christians conquer. Final piece here. you got to get this. Christians conquer by loving God more. Loving God more than life. Do you, do you catch that at the end of verse 11? It says, they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives more. Right? They love not their lives even unto death. Even unto death. And listen, remember, if contextually, he's talking about the church throughout the church age until Christ returns. He's talking to us. So here's what he's saying. If you're going to conquer, you have to value Christ more than your own life. If we're going to be a church that has effect in the in with the pressure that is coming against her over the, the you know, the, the, the history of this thing. I don't even know. Long before I'm, you know, I'm, long after I'm gone, right? Long after you're gone. If we're going to be a people who are faithful and make an impact, we have got to be a people who value what God is doing, his kingdom, and the Lord as the supreme thing of value in our life 
even if it means that we lose arms. This is a value statement is what he's saying here. When he says they love not their lives even unto death, he is saying that Jesus was more valuable than their sports, their children, their vacations, their stuff, their jobs, their pleasures, their prosperity, their welfare, all of that. He's saying if we are going to be a church that conquer Satan, we've got to look him in the eyes and say, no matter what you bring against me, I know what is true. I know there is eternity coming for me. I know that I am right before God, and I will meet it gladly before I yield one inch of my allegiance to Christ. No matter what that takes, no matter what that costs, look at me. What's the most valuable thing in your life today? Be honest. What if Jesus was to call you away from that? Is he, is he the thing? I, I love that psalm that says, keep me as the apple of your eye. Talking to, you know, David's praying this to God. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Is God the apple of yours? Is he, the, is Jesus Christ everything to you? If we're going to be a people who conquer, listen, you're going to find out really quickly. Is he? Is he? So what does this change today? Listen, I'll, I just want to lift this burden today. I just believe, man, we hear that voice. We sideline ourselves. And I know what Satan would hate, and I love it, is that we would wake up this morning. We would let we'd wake up and we yes, we hear your we hear your lies, Satan. We hear your voice. But man, we know God's word. We know God's word. We know what he says. We know that we have conquered not by anything that we have. That's what's so beautiful about we can come in here, it doesn't matter what kind of week you've had. It doesn't matter what kind of brokenness you're in. It doesn't matter what you think about yourself. I don't care what you think about yourself. The, the, the only opinion that matters is what God thinks of you. Right? So we can come in here broken and beat down and cling to Jesus. And I'm going to tell you what. If we get to that posture, God is going to do something here. Okay? So let me pray for us. Father, I love you. Dear Lord, would you help us see the beauty that is in the blood of Christ. Oh, Lord, I think about my sin. I think about the sum of my failure. And God, there is no explanation apart from the gospel of how I could ever stand before you right. I bring nothing, no, no measure of faith strong enough. Even my attempts to be right before you fall grossly. Dear Lord, you have, by faith, you have justified me. And if there's someone in this room that knows you, you did the same thing the moment they looked to your son in faith saying, I can't do this on my own. I can't, uh, I can't right my wrongs. I can't clean myself up. You don't want us to come to you cleaned up. You never chose us when we, to some, some future cleaner version of us, you looked at the dirty, at the jacked up, at the sum of our mistakes, and even despite us, for your own glory, you said, I want them. Lord, would we remember that gospel? That's the gospel that saves. It says, I bring nothing to this. I do nothing for this. And God, if your church would see that, Lord, if your church would see that,
we would hold to that. Dear Lord, there, there would be no accusation that would stand. We would start engaging in ministry. We start picking up our Bibles, start discipling our family, start loving our wives better. We'll start getting help for the places where we are weak. God, we'll start entering into the front, the front lines of ministry. We'll start preaching the gospel to our neighbors, not because we, uh, Lord, we're, we're somehow now more qualified, Lord, but because you made me qualified. Now we'll go to broken people, broken people going to other broken people, telling them how we can be made right by a holy God. So Jesus, would you just ignite something today? Would you lift a burden off the shoulders of one of the redeemed in this room, God, who's been believing the lie of the enemy that says that you will never be forgiven. You could never get past your mistakes. You are never more than some of your failures, your parents' failures, or whatever it looks like. God, you want to do a work today. So Lord, I pray if someone in this room doesn't know you, you call them to faith in your son. Dear Lord, we love you. In your name we pray.